Shannon, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is my first Sunday back, and I'm not quite sure how to greet. In fact, I, I'm not sure if we've ever been this unsure about how to greet in the new year. Do we say Happy New Year? Do we say a happier New Year? I'm not sure, but what we know is that it's already become a volatile New Year, and I acknowledge that there's probably collective disappointment that the page didn't just flip on the 1st of January and it was just brand new, that we carry much of last year with us um, and have had a really heavy week. And yet, I want to stir our hearts and remind us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, not just on January 1st. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. I, I just want to acknowledge that besides the disappointment that we feel that this year doesn't feel all that new, uh, that there would be a number of people here who are saddened by the election results and even angered and suspicious. Uh, others who would be really hopeful and yet fearful about a peaceful transition of power. And I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we would carry a real grief in our hearts in terms of what happened on Wednesday with the storming and breaching of the U.S. Capitol. And so we gathered. I'm so grateful for the gathering of the believers at this time where we focus on our need for Jesus. We've never needed Jesus more than now, right? And uh, we exalt Him. We cast our cares upon Him. We acknowledge our dependence upon Him. And as a pastor and a preacher, I kind of face a quandary at this time. Uh, do I just do a standalone? How do I speak into this last week? Or, or do I carry on uh, with the series? I, I saw this meme, which many of us have probably seen, where uh, 2020 is kind of personified and says, it's never going to get better than me. And then 2021 just says, hold my beer. And I think we, we find ourselves going, okay, well, what, what does that mean? What is 2021 going to throw at us? And... And how do we cope with that? How do we move on? How do we thrive? And I've just felt the prompting of God to, to continue with our series on the incomparable Jesus that uh, Ms. Shannon has already kicked off so helpfully, so clearly. And we're going to read quite a chunky passage from Luke 7 uh, about the friendship of Jesus. And very simply, at the beginning of this year, I want to call us to the certainty of Jesus' friendship in a very uncertain world. And I want to call us to cultivate friendship with Jesus, the companionship and the certainty of friendship with Jesus in a very uncertain and volatile world. So once you take your little sermon notes, if you don't have them, put up your hand, someone will come and give you uh, one, but this is going to help you in many ways. It's going to help you to put your nose in the text. It's going to help you to stay off your phone. It's going to help you to take some notes and go away and reflect on it. This is, this is to serve you. And uh, so here we go. Jesus, our incomparable friend. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick. 
and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built our synagogue. And, and Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let, and, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. A bier is a coffin that's going to be sent to an incinerator. And the bearers stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So there's all these miracles happening. A servant healed, a young man raised from the dead, and the disciples of John, John the Baptist, reported, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men came to, to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Imagine what an hour. In that hour, he did all this. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. My family and I gathered around a New Year's table with my parents who are out with us, and we reflected on 2020. And I asked them, what have you learned about yourself and about God in 2020? And initially there were groans from our teenage kids, as I used to do growing up too, but then they were quite cooperative. And there was this recurring theme around the New Year's table. It was this, in 2020, I learned who my real friends were. I learned who my real friends were. 
It wasn't just my kids who said that. They said, some of my friends canceled me because we believed different things. Some of my friends were just really distant. Some of my friends were really cruel and, and rude. And yet others really shone. They, they stood in the breach, as it were. They, they stood up in the middle of our adversity and they were just incredibly loyal and generous and, and faithful. We've got this family who we've, we've been friends with for, for decades, but they were that, that kind of family. They, they said at the beginning of the year, they're in England, and England has been in lockdown for months. And this poor family in lockdown just said, we felt God call us to pray for the Frau family every single morning. And we've been doing that. And they'd send us regular scriptures every now and again. They'd send us like British candy, which is the best kind of candy. It's wicked, but it's amazing. Hey, Karen. And they just encourage us. And I'm just going like, I hardly pray for my family every day. I mean, I pray for them often, but this family is praying for us. Incredible friends. I thought of that Proverbs 17 where a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Think of those kind of friends that you've had. And then some that have really disappointed you in the last year. And in this passage, Jesus is called by the crowd a friend for the very first time. Verse 35, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's used as an insult, but Jesus actually owns it as part of who he is, a friend. In Luke 5, just before he heals a man and he says, friend, you are healed. Later on in the gospels, John 15, he says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus owns this term of being a friend. And, and we're going to be asking, what kind of friendship, friend is Jesus? And what kind of friends have we been to Jesus in this year? We're going to sing that beautiful old hymn at the end of my message, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. I think what coronavirus has revealed in many Christians, and at times I've seen it in myself, is that I want to be a friend of Jesus, but I'm not as faithful a friend as I thought I was. And even in the church in America, there's a kind of a nominal acquaintance, a loose acquaintance that's been revealed where many people in the adversity have just drifted away from fellowship with Jesus and his people. And it's revealed that we're probably not the friends that we should be. And if you look at your sermon notes, you'll see four aspects of Jesus' friendship that we are going to explore and, and treasure. They are that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that he is sovereign, that he is compassionate, and that he is sometimes offensive. But I want you to work with me. We're going to hold those four things kind of together in two tensions. The first is this tension that Jesus is both welcoming and sovereign. He's welcoming and, and sovereign. So we find in verse 35 that he's called this friend of sinners and tax collectors. What does that mean? What does that mean? At the very least, Jesus, the friend of sinners, means he enjoyed spending time with people who were irreligious and immoral. He didn't require that they cleaned up their stuff. He actually was welcoming. 
In fact, Luke 15 says, all the sinners and tax collectors were drawing near to Jesus and the crowds, especially the Pharisees, the religious people says, see, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, he didn't see sinners just as a project to fix. He enjoyed their company. They felt at ease with him. He was welcoming. Not only that, but that he was guilty by association. Can you see how they actually called him a name that his life bore no resemblance to him being a glutton and a drunkard? There's no sign in the gospel that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard, but because he welcomed and ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners, he was kind of given their guilt by association. It was a slur. It was an insult. And instead of defending his reputation, he owns it as a badge of honor. Can you think of some friend that you've, ha- you've got that you actually enjoy spending time with them, but they are a person of bad reputation. And so when you meet up with them, you go like, can we go to like some other city in a back alley? Can we go to like Santa Ana or something like that? Sorry. Whoa. We're going to launch the Santa Ana team next, next week. But can, I, can we not go to like a really respectable place? And can we just go to like back alley? And so you want to hide your, your friendship with them? By the way, I love downtown Santa Ana. But Jesus wasn't this kind of friend at all. He wore his friendship in the open with these tax collectors and sinners. He was willing to be guilty by association. What if you had a friend at the center of your friendship circle that no matter what junk you shared with them about yourself, they didn't like raise their eyebrows and just say, I just think I need some space from you. They would never cancel you. They would always welcome you. And think of Jesus' words, come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, all you who are bound by sin, crushed by disappointment, all of you, not, not, not the ones that have got it together, all of you come. And then he, it's like he puts an exclamation mark, for whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. I want to say I've, I've been raised in a Christian home. Jesus as a friend became real to me as a 13-year-old. And there's been some times when I've been so ashamed of my sin I've never, ever felt rejection from Jesus. I've always felt a welcome, always. You and I need that friend. Even your best friend has limits to how much of your junk they can cope with, how much of your anxiety. Your best friend will have limits. This is a friend of limitless welcome. And so he's a welcoming friend. But all right, then how do I approach him? How do I approach him? And this is where we have to hold intention. Jesus is welcome, yet sovereign. He's not just my drinking buddy, he's Lord. And the Roman centurion gives us such a helpful way. Okay, if he's welcoming, how do I come in and approach him? And this Roman centurion, who was a Gentile, was not a Jew, And Roman centurions were known for being brutal to their subjects. But this guy was different. The Jewish people said, he loves our nation 
and even build us a synagogue. And they kind of, they, they say to Jesus, this guy is worthy. In other words, this Gentile was an honorary Jew. If anyone had reason to come to Jesus kind of real confident and proud and like, well, I heard you welcoming and look, I'm worthy. All these people say I'm worthy. So I'm coming super confident. If anyone had reason to come, it was him. And yet he comes with such a different approach. Verse six says, Lord, I am not worthy. I just want us to stop and say, Lord was a dangerous word for this Roman centurion. Because Lord, the root is Kyrios, which means Caesar. This guy could have lost his job or even his life for calling Jesus Caesar. Caesar was his boss. And yet he calls him Lord, Kyrios. He acknowledges that though he's welcoming, he's not his drinking buddy. He's not his servant just to come on, do this and do that. He actually says, I'm your servant, I'm not worthy but just say the word and my servant will be healed. He doesn't see Jesus as his cosmic genie in a bottle. Just rub the bottle and command him and my wish is your command. He actually comes and he says something beautiful. I want us to see this. He says, Lord, I do not presume. Beloved, what, what can happen is when we realize that Jesus is so welcoming and gracious, we can tend to presume upon him. And we can tend to trade on our worthiness. Well, you've got to do what I say because actually I'm worthy. Look at my life. And you're so gracious. So please do this, do that, do that, do that. This guy believes just one word. He's asking, but he's not presuming. And the amazing thing about this passage is it says Jesus marveled at his faith. There's only two times in the gospels that Jesus marveled. The one was at the unbelief of the Jewish people and the other was this guy's faith. He marveled, I've never seen such, such faith. It's bold, it's approaching confidently, just one word, but it's not presumptuous. Do any of you have those friends that are presumptuous? They presume upon your kindness. You know, it's like you go out for lunch and you're in a generous mood, so you pay for the bill. And they do the like, oh, sorry, I, I lost my wallet. So you pay. And then next week they phone you up and say, hey, let's go for, go for lunch. Let's go here to this really expensive one and you, you're gonna think they're gonna pay this time. But the bill comes and they just like. Whew. And after a while you're going, this person is presuming upon my kindness. I don't know if I want to be their friend. Ever had a friend like that? And this centurion was the exact opposite of that. He actually came and he said, Lord, I'm coming under your authority. I'm not telling you what to do. Beloved, I, I wanna walk carefully here and say that so much grieved me about what happened on Wednesday. But one of the things that absolutely incensed me was the Jesus banner waving that happened. And I'm not talking about the protest, people's rights to protest, but actually the Jesus banners that even went into the capital. And I wanna say, actually that is presumptuous. Because at that point, people were saying, Jesus, 
you're on my side, on my cause. I'm, I'm waving this flag as I'm actually doing something evil. And I want to say, beloved, we as the church need to repent if we have co-opted Jesus for our cause. And I'm not just talking to conservatives. Liberals do it the same. They will co-opt Jesus for their cause. And you hear people saying, well, well, you know, Jesus isn't white, he's black. Or God isn't male, he's female. Or Jesus, the whole reason he came was to bring justice to the oppressed. And I'm just saying, you are co-opting Jesus for your cause. Both sides are doing it. And actually we presume upon Christ. And Christ is saying, stop co-opting me to your side. Jesus is a male Jew. He was. It's not a man and a woman. Both sides tend to co-opt Jesus to their side. And today, Jesus wants to say, I'm not on either of your side. I lament for people who are struggling with the outcome. Many of us are struggling. But actually, this is an opportunity to say, Jesus, you're not on our side, we're getting on your side. Jesus is neither Republican nor Democrat. Jesus, I'm sorry to say, is not even American. And this is a moment for us to say, we've co-opted you, we've been presumptuous. There's this passage in Joshua 5 where Joshua is at war, gonna go to war at Jericho and he finds this huge big warrior with his sword drawn and he says, are you on our side or the side of our adversaries? And this huge warrior just says, neither. I am captain of the Lord's army. Now you take off your shoes. You are walking on holy ground. And I wanna say, Jesus is saying to his church right now, I'm on neither side. I'm on my own side. Will you get on my side? Yeah. Beloved, it doesn't mean that we can't have political leanings. Every time Jesus spoke, he was speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees and Romans and people who were all over the shop and he never tried to get them on one political side, but he did try and get them onto his kingdom side. He said, when you pray, pray, not my kingdom, but God's kingdom come. God's will be done. This is a moment for us to stop presuming. If you want, if we want faith that amazes Jesus, it's gotta be bold and yet not presumptuous. So Jesus is, he's welcoming, but he's sovereign. And then second tension, that Jesus is compassionate, yet offensive at times. I love this, he's just healed the servant. And then he walks on with this crowd and a widow whose only son has died is being carried out in this coffin on the way to the incinerator. What a tragic time, just hope is gone. And it says, and when the Lord saw her, I love how Luke now is calling Jesus Lord, just like the centurion did. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. You know, that word compassion is a stunning word. In the Greek, it means to actually be moved in your intestines. This last year, when you've heard about someone who's, 
got sick or lost a loved one, where, where literally, you know, your, your stomach kind of does a flip. You, you're so moved by them. It's generally someone you, you know. And this same word, compassion, is the same word that Jesus had when his friend Lazarus died, where he was greatly troubled and he wept. How is it that Jesus just sees a woman and feels this depth of compassion? His stomach flips. He's sickened by her cause. And that sickening moves him to miraculous power. He sympathizes with her. His heart is throbbing with her grief. You know, these passages do call us to trust Jesus for miraculous healing power. But we must acknowledge that this year, none of us have the combination code to Jesus' miraculous healing power. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting with this pandemic. But I still absolutely believe in that. When I hear of these miracles of healing, I just say, Lord, show us more of this. My father arrived here having a knee up, very frail. And there was a moment where we were away on vacation and it was just terrible. It was not getting better. We laid hands on him. And within a day, he got his appetite back and strengthened. Jesus still heals. Is he still hobbling? Yes, but there was a marked difference. But beloved, we don't have the combination code to healing. And what Jesus is wanting us to see is that our situation doesn't have a combination code to just suddenly come right. He wants us to see that he is compassionate and he sits with us and he feels what we feel. And he is a sympathetic God who even in heaven has kept his humanity and is moved by compassion. You know, there's some friends that are very practical fix-it friends and they come and they just wanna fix things. And sometimes that's great and sometimes that's not. Sometimes with my wife, I've been too much of a fix-it friend. And she's just like, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to empathize. Husbands, oh, Liz, I saw that little nudge on John. I saw it, I saw it. And look, we, we have to see that Jesus can fix it. One word, one word, Lord. And you, one word and Jesus can heal coronavirus. One word and Jesus can heal this nation. But he wants us to acknowledge that there are moments when he just comes and sits with us with great compassion and great empathy. And we need to treasure that aspect of his friendship. We really do. We need to treasure that aspect of his sympathetic, compassionate company. I want to encourage you this year to spend 15 minutes away from your flipping phone enjoying the company of Jesus' compassion. Crack open the Bible. People say, which, which kind, which translation? I say, whichever one you'll read. And spend some time with Jesus in his compassionate company. This year, I've longed for Jesus to fix the situation. But I've trained myself, am training myself to enjoy his compassionate companionship. We need his presence. We need his presence. He is so compassionate. And then finally, he's not just compassionate. He's at times a little bit offensive. 
So Jesus is healing these people, raising them from the dead. And his cousin, who's a friend, John, sends messages saying, I'm starting to doubt that you are actually the one I prophesied about. Are you really the one? Because kind of here I am in prison and I did all this baptizing, calling people to repent. You're not doing that. You're doing all this stuff. And Jesus does not apologize at all. In fact, in that very hour, he just does a whole lot more miracles and then says to the disciples, just go and tell John what you saw. The dead are raised, the lame walk, the blind eye open and good news is being preached. Just go tell him. And blessed is he who is not offended by me. I tell you what, that cuts me to the core. How many of us have been offended by Jesus because he did not live up to our expectations last year? He did not live up to our prayers. I've been offended. Some of us feel offended that he didn't answer our political prayers or our financial prayers or our relational prayers or our prayers for the church or our prayers for our boss or our prayers for a life partner. And I, I wanna say, man, we've gotta take this to heed. If we are to walk with Jesus as a friend, at times he will offend us. You know, there are those friends who stab you in the back. Jesus will never stab you in the back, but sometimes he will wound you from the front to heal you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What's that all? I'm aging myself. The old Brian Adams song, Cuts Like a Knife, But It Feels All Right. You don't know it? Sometimes the words of Jesus cut like a knife, but they cut to heal. And I believe it's fine to wrestle, even to get angry, to acknowledge lament and disappointment, but Jesus is calling to you as his friend, say, blessed is he, is she who is not offended by me. In other words, wrestle, but keep your heart soft. If you're disappointed, acknowledge it, but don't put distance between your best friend. Don't harden your heart. Like John, come back to Jesus saying, I, it doesn't make sense. You seem to be operating differently from the way I expected, but I'm trusting you. Offense will blind us to what God is doing. I mean, how could John not see? The dead are raised, the blind see, the lame are walking, and John is saying, are you really the one? Offense will blind us to what God is doing. And especially as we pray for our nation, as we pray for revival, let's pray, hopes high, but holding our expectations loosely, because Jesus will never do exactly what we expected, beloved. Over the next nine weeks, we're gonna be praying for revival. Let's remember that when revival came to Southern California, it almost always offended the church. Some of you were saved in the Jesus People movement. And this Baptist church saw thousands come to Christ down at Pirates Cove, Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith Jr. And they were offended rather than saying, God's doing an amazing what they were offended by the hippies that walked in with barefoot and ruined their, heart, their nice carpet in the 70s, and some of you were those hippies. I've talked to people that said, those people were so offended at what Jesus was doing. But you know what? 15 years later, those same hippies, the offensive hippies, they got offended at the next move of God when John Wimber was experiencing an outpouring of healing and signs and wonders. They were like, well, now we're offended. How come the offenders 
become the offended. Oh, blessed is he who is not offended by me. What is God going to do next? It's going to be amazing. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be offensive. Blessed are we when we are not offended by him. Jesus, we come to you, our incomparable friend, and we confess that we have often been unfaithful. Thank you that you have been completely faithful, Jesus. Always welcome us. Come to me all. You're welcoming all. But we do not want to come presumptuously. We want to come knowing that you are compassionate, but acknowledging that at times you offend us. But Jesus, you offend us always to heal us. So we come to you in Jesus' name and say, please move upon your people. Come and heal us. Come and lead us this year. Thank you for the assurance, the certainty of your friendship that you are the friend that loves at all times, the friend born for adversity. And in the midst of an uncertain world, we want to cultivate friendship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.